Thanks for tuning in again to the Local Dreamer podcast. This episode, I hope to bring a little bit of inspiration and maybe a tool or two into your personal walk with God. Because to be honest, whether you've been following God a long time or maybe you're even just dipping your toe in to check the temperature of what this is all about, I'll just tell you up front that just like in a relationship, in friendship or marriage, Your walk with God will have ebbs and flows, ups and downs, and sometimes things feel a little mundane or you feel really high. And that's just the normal, I think, process of a relationship. And what makes a great and successful relationship is being able to work through those low times or those dull moments or those boring moments and pushing through to keep it going. Something I have a personal issue with is Christianese, the cliche-ness of Christianity, and how the statement familiarity breeds contempt kind of relates to your walk with God, especially in America, because things have been uh, so overused or oversaid or overprinted or oversold. And that statement, it has kind of a heavy meaning where familiarity breeds contempt. It means that you have a lot of knowledge on a subject or you think you have a lot of knowledge on a subject and then you tend to lose respect. I don't ever want to find myself in a place where I feel that I know a lot about the Bible, enough about the Bible. I've read it a lot. I've read it enough. I heard it. I heard it enough. I realize we have read this Bible for hundreds and hundreds of years now. We could make the argument that we heard it enough as a human race, as a a people. But Lord, help me to never be in a place where I feel I heard it enough and I'm good. Or I know it and I know it forward and backwards and I'm good. That is not where I want to find myself. It is easy, however, to feel like you might be approaching that place when you become very familiar with the language of the Bible, with the words, the sayings, and the memory verses. Deep down inside, I know that I want to believe the Word of God. But sometimes when I read the Bible, I just kind of go through the practice of reading it, but I'm not moved inside. I'm not jerked awake or punched in the gut. And I'm not saying that you have to feel beaten up after reading the Word But I do think we should begin to bear some evidence of transformation, whether it's getting a slap in the face or being jerked out of our sleep and we're awake now and our eyes are open. The effect of the word of God should strengthen me. And just like a boxer has to endure many rounds to become stronger, sometimes we need a little pressure. We need to hear something that's a little discomforting and have some light shined and Parts in us be exposed so that we can actually see our weaknesses. Boxers have to go through rounds of grueling punches and jabs and hooks and movements to be able to see in themselves their weakness. And I feel like when we read the Bible, we should be able to have our weaknesses exposed and to be strengthened and to become transformed into the image of God through the renewing of our mind, which is reading the Bible and transforming the way we think, but that doesn't always happen. The critical point about pursuing the Lord that I've noticed in my own life is when I find myself in a time where I'm set to pray, I'm gonna have my quiet time, and I sincerely wanna try to pray, or I wanna try to sit down and hear God for myself and no words are coming to mind. I feel like I have nothing to say and I'm quiet and I'm not hearing anything. 
and I just kind of let my patience run out real quick. I don't really give myself any real time to make any adjustment, but I just think to myself, "Eh, it's not for me today. I can do it later. I just can't hear you. I don't know what to say, what to pray. And I just let my mind move on with thoughts. And pretty much I let myself move on with my day and I get done real quick. It's kind of unfair how quick I got done because I know that I could have tried a little harder, but it's easier just to let that go and go on with my day. Or maybe I'm reading, you know, my daily Bible reading and nothing's really jumping out. I've read this before. I've heard this before and it still sounds the same. So I kind of feel like I already know that I got that. And so now what, God? What do I do? I heard this. Now what? When I can't hear God, when I don't know what to pray, and when I'm reading and I can't glean anything from the word of God, it's in these moments that I feel this is like a critical point where we just need to switch our pace. And I need to switch my pace. I need to switch my direction, switch up my intention, and not just throw my hands up and think, oh, it's not for me. It's not for today. I just don't hear. And I just don't get it. And we just give up. And it's crazy how when it comes to the Lord, our attention span wears out so quick and our drive to get an education or to gain an impressive career and lifestyle can motivate us to stay up late all night, study, research, learn more, work more, entertain. Just think of all the things that we as a people are willing to do. They go as far as even sacrificing their health and family to get that thing that they want. And then when it comes to our walk with God, we give them maybe a couple minutes. And if we're not like in there or getting it or clicking in like real quick, we are so quick to just be like, nah, maybe later, not today. And I just think of athletes and MMA fighters, how they push their bodies to extreme limits. They sacrifice time and the pleasures of life because their goal is worth it. If they need to be a certain weight, they'll do what it takes, even if what they're doing causes them long-term damage. They don't care. They don't care in the moment. They are all in for the now. MMA fighters are all about being in the moment. A thought of the future, of the effects of what they are doing right now, if they worry about the future, they might as well retire right there as they think about the future. Because any concern or worry for anything not right now and in this moment could cause them to become dull, anxious, and fearful. And the moment those kind of fighters allow thoughts and emotions like that in, they open themselves up for damage. And these fighters have to be all in or just not in at all because the consequences in that setting are so severe. On a softer note though, maybe you've endured a boring job or super hard workouts because you found someone there that pushes you and the relationship you built with that person or those people for more than just the paycheck, more than just the physical results you're getting, you're motivated to show up to be with those people or that person. And you keep showing up no matter how bad the job sucks or no matter how grueling the training is. I say all of this because I'm sure we can all relate to some things at some point within these examples And this is just evidence that we have it in us to become tenacious if we really want to. I know my own tendencies and I always try to take those kind of tendencies and apply them to my pursuit and my growth in God. 
I have to remember that I have an enemy of my soul. You too have an enemy of your soul. And our enemy will do all it takes to dull our pursuit and our growth in God. And he will bank on the fact that we will give up easily. There are so many different ways to flex your spiritual muscles and to feed your mind, body, soul, and spirit. But I'm just going to stick with a couple examples here and then break down one way that I do it. And I'm hoping that this will inspire you to do the same or just give you a little bit food from another angle and switch your step and switch your pace that you might be strengthened by cutting an angle on your enemy right here where you're getting fed in a way that maybe you've never thought of before. So let's just say, for example, the first one is that you find yourself unable to pray, like the cat got your tongue. You're feeling like you're mute, you have nothing to say and nothing to think. And maybe when those kind of moments hit you, you just think, well, I got nothing and you're God, you know it all, you do you, amen. And I'm sure God has a sense of humor and he would laugh at us if we did do that. And he is God and he doesn't know everything, so he would agree. (laughs) This is where we can switch our stride. We can take this time of blankness and silence and transform that into a time of silent prayer and meditation that you dedicate unto the Lord. Your lack of drive to pray words can become what old mystics call the prayer of silence, a silent prayer. And by faith, you hold on to the ability for God to speak to you in the silence. You may not hear an audible voice, but by faith, you believe that he speaks and he's speaking to you spirit to spirit. And maybe from here is where you get a picture, a song, a face that then leads you a little deeper into a silent time of prayer unto the Lord. Or maybe it was just a quiet moment with the one you love and who loves you. And I really went through a time of really not being motivated to read or to pray or to do any of these like Christian activities or quote religious activities um, that, you know, are good for you and do help you grow. But there was a moment where I was just like, had to readjust my mindset of being I am just sitting with the one who loves me more than I could imagine. And I do love God. And so I would ha- just had to surrender and be okay with, I am just sitting with the one who loves me. And even if you think of like someone you love so dearly, or imagine like even a movie setting of two people who you know through watching this movie just are just so in love with each other and they just sit with each other And they're just together and that is okay and there's no words there's nothing happening they're just together it's beautiful so just readjusting your time of prayer with god that just kind of went south and you're not feeling anything and you're not getting anything and you're not going anywhere or doing anything turning it into a beautiful time where you sit with the one you love and who loves you so that's just an example of how you can flip the script on the enemy of your soul who's trying to dull and bore you with prayer or who knows what kind of spiritual covering he's putting over you to block the voice of God or to distract you, but you in turn switch your stride and go, hey, I'm not hearing. Well, maybe I'm going to sit with the Lord in silence and I'm going to focus on giving that time to the God and what the enemy meant 
for evil, I'm going to turn and make it beneficial and good for the time I'm dedicating to being with the Lord. And a big part of this is us not being willing to give up so easily just because we're not feeling it. We don't feel like it. We can't. We can't. We just have to be tenacious that I'm going to get my time with the Lord. I'm going to give my time that I set apart. And I and I have this in my mind that I want to do this unto the Lord. This writing, this painting, this reading, this scripture, this prayer, this listening, whatever it is. It's like if you had it set in your heart, just like you make a plan. On paper, it's real easy to make a plan and make a schedule. What gets hard is actually walking it out. So we got to know we can't give up because we got those plans and we made that commitment in our hearts when all was well. So now it's time to walk it out and there's going to be distraction. There is going to be pushback, but that's where we need to not give up so easily and keep pushing onward. And trust me, I know that life is busy. I am a busy person. I'm sure you all are busy people. But we have to realize life isn't going to get less busy. It's like on this trajectory to continue getting busier and busier and busier. The Bible does say in Matthew 6, 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If we can remember that in the midst of the busyness of life, that if I do seek first the kingdom of God, Even if it feels like you're wasting time, there is never wasted time on God. If you have set out time unto the Lord and you feel like you have so many tasks to accomplish and things to check off your list, but you first sit and seek first God, have faith. The Bible says that the rest will be added. It's amazing when you give God that time, how he knows that you have a list. He knows there are things to be done. But from my experience, the things that need to be done are done with ease, with a grace, and more efficiently, if I do seek first the kingdom, if I do sit with the Lord, and if I do, even if it feels like you're wasting time, if I do waste time with God first, it's just impressive to me how all of the things in my life do get accomplished with an efficiency that you couldn't have done had you not spent that time seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Being able to move and switch your step and switch your stride and change your routine, it takes the requirement of the Holy Spirit to do it and to do it in a way that's in the right direction. Because if you just are all over the place and switching things up and switching things up and switching things up, you're not only going to confuse your enemy, you will very well confuse yourself as well in the process. So it's critical to be led by the Holy Spirit through all of this, through all of our pursuit of God and our growth in God. And when we do find ourselves in a rut, it's the Holy Spirit that can lift us out of it. Our devotion, our commitment, and our habits are good, but if they turn into a religious duty, it can become just that. And it's the Holy Spirit that can give us the guidance to make changes in our daily routines that need to be made at the right time and in the right direction. Okay, so I am going to attempt, I've never done this before, but I'm going to attempt to articulate one way that I personally have been overcoming the familiarity, I can't even say that word, and the cliche-ness of the Bible by spending time 
getting to the original meaning of what is written. And I have to realize that the Bible was not written in English. It's been translated into English and along the way has been far removed from its original meaning. And what's been yanking me awake and leaving me in awe and wonder and blowing my mind is taking even just a line or two or even just a word and breaking down what that word means into its original language and allowing the Holy Spirit in me to translate the meaning of this sentence, of this word, of this verse. And from there, I'm able to grasp the heart of what's being said. I'm just going to take a single word, the word good. This word good in English, we think of it, or I do, I know I do. I think of it as lower than the best, but there's always something better. It's all right. It's acceptable. Uh, when we eat at a good restaurant, we're like, ah, oh, it's good. You know, it was acceptable. It was pleasing enough to say it was good and satisfactory. There's always something better and above better, there's going to be something that's best. In the Bible, I find this word good in a lot of places, but just to keep it uh, brief for this episode, the first place it comes up is in the creation account. And many times God says, and it was good. It was good. He created light and it was good. He created the earth, the grass, the herb yielding seeds, the day and night, every living creature, the trees. He did all of this. And after he created each thing, he said it was good. Now, just in our English application of the word good and how we use it, I, it doesn't even make sense how we can use our basic word good when we're relating to an act of the Almighty God. So just right there alone, it's just kind of like, wait a second, like what did God really say? I know in English it translates to good, but I have a feeling that he didn't just create something that is good, that he could have done better and could say it wasn't my best work. It was just my, my good work, not my best work. And I could have done better. If I do it again, I'll do it better. Like, I don't think that's the way it is. But in my mind, that's my first interpretation is taking the word that they use, which is good. And it kind of has that basic low level quality that's below better and best. So how good was the light you created, God? That's my question. How good was it? <laughs> but light in itself is a crazy thing that we don't even understand. So right there is a clue. I have a hard time thinking that the almighty, all-powerful God who created light, which is incredible in itself, created it, looked at it, and said, yeah, it's satisfactory. It's all right. It's good. So to get to the deeper level of this, I had to go back and look at the word good. In the King James, you go into like the Blue Letter Bible app where you can look up a biblical concordance and you see that the word good in English is translated from the Hebrew word tov. So the Hebrew word tov, even in the biblical concordance, agrees with the word good. It's to be good, pleasing, joyful, beneficial, be pleasant, favorable, happy, be right, and also to be well, do good, act right, or act rightly. And so even doing a brief word study on the word good 
you get maybe a little deeper. You could say, oh, wow, God was what he created made him really happy. It was really pleasing to him. And what he did in the creation story was beneficial. It's beneficial to all of us. We're still benefiting from it today. But even still, I'm like, what did he really mean? So to dig a little deeper, because by looking up my English word good and then looking in the Hebrew at the word tov and looking in the biblical concordance of what that means, they're very similar. They did a good job translating it from that. It's real similar. But I'm like, even still, what does this mean? So sometimes words have root words, which you can dig in. And sometimes words are just the primary word. And that's just the end of the line. And you can just study there and stop there at that word. But there's also what's called the Study Light um, app that I use online. And so what I do is I'll copy and paste the Hebrew word written in Hebrew into the study light app and then that will open up it will give you a lot of the similar biblical concordance but it goes a step deeper which is to take you into the ancient hebrew lexicon and that gives you the version that is a pictograph version which is like the caveman drawings on the cave walls or on stone tablets they're pictures that represent sounds which are what we got our language from and it's just crazy so the two symbols that make up the hebrew sounding word tov the first symbol is like this circle with an x through it and it represents a basket which is used to contain or surround something and then there's another symbol that's like kind of a square edge spiral that represents a house or a tent. And combined, these words mean surround the house. The house is surrounded by grace, beauty, love, health, and prosperity. And it also means something that is functional. Something that is functional is in essence good. So right there, the depth and the width of this word good just blew out of my picture of what is good. To be surrounded by grace, love, health, beauty, prosperity, and to be something that is functioning properly is so far removed from the word that we know as good today. Yes, good things do still function properly, but I'm learning through this study and through just observing culture and all of the changes that are going on in our culture today that we as humans somehow introduce and interject a spectrum on God's original design. In the original design, God called something good because it functioned properly. But today we have a spectrum of good, better, and best. And it, you could put this idea onto many words that we use today and the word war that's happening in the world and the changing of definitions and all of that is just crazy to see. Like even in this little instance here, it's like something that functions properly is good, period. When I think of things functioning properly, I'm led to think of the opposite, which is dysfunctional, things that function improperly. And if we go back to in the beginning when God made everything and checked and said, light, light is tov. The light I created is good. It's functioning properly. Everything that God created in the creation story was made and he looked at it and was like, yep, it is functioning properly just as I had designed and just as I had intended. 
Maybe I'm just a nerd, but these kind of discoveries make me really excited. Another verse that came to mind when I was doing this study was Jeremiah 29 11. And some translations use the word good and others don't. But in the New Living Translations, this is a verse that if you've walked with the Lord for a long time, you already know it. And this is one maybe if you just started, someone might give you this or pray this over you. Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. This verse is very hopeful. It's very comforting and exciting even to know that God does, for one, have a plan, that the plan is good, and its good is way better than what's the other option, which is disaster. If we just apply what we just learned about the basket and the house, that we are surrounded, that God has a plan for us, and that plan is to be surrounded by grace, beauty, love, health, and prosperity. I plan to surround you with all of these things. I plan for your life to contain all of these things. That right there has me jumping up and down saying, yes, Lord, I want that. Isn't that beautiful? That is just so much more than what we just read in English. That is very deep. And it gives us a picture of what this plan can look like. Because we might wonder, what does a good plan for my life look like, God? Well, we can use our imagination and we can picture our lives being surrounded and contained with grace, love, beauty. What does grace look like? What is grace? We could dive into that. We can go after what is love? What does love look like? What is beauty? We are surrounded by beauty. My life contains beauty, health, and prosperity. There's so much within this and we just gloss over it as it's a good plan. And it's just like this huge basket full of life just overflowing. And if we don't take time to dig and look, we can easily miss it. So thank you, Lord. We got to find this one out. Another instance of the word good that popped in my head when I was doing this word study was in the New Testament where a man came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Jesus doesn't right away get to the question. He asks him, why do you call me good teacher? No one is good except God alone. So this is in the New Testament, which you have to know if you're reading the English New Testament, that has been translated from Greek. So what I had to do was go from Greek and look up the Hebrew equivalent words. And within the list of Hebrew equivalent words, which you could get when you go into the Blue Letter Bible app, it will give you a list of Hebrew equivalents to whatever word you're searching. Within that list, I found there it was, the word tov. So in essence, when this man ran up and said to Jesus, good teacher, he was saying, one who contains and surrounds the house with grace, love, beauty, health, and prosperity Oh, teacher who functions properly, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus replies to him saying, why are you calling me the one that contains and surrounds the house with grace, love, beauty, health, and prosperity? Why are you saying that I am the teacher who is functioning properly? No one else can function properly except God alone. And it makes me realize how if it is God alone who is good, 
who functions properly, then that means everyone else who is not God is dysfunctional. It makes sense to me why it's so difficult for this dysfunctional world to embrace God. Because we, as a people, as humanity, this world, we are dysfunctional. What we call love is a dysfunctional love. We have dysfunctional families. We have dysfunctional societies. But it is God alone who functions properly. This is why there is such a stark contrast between the things of this world and the things of God. God is functioning properly and we're over here dysfunctional. The beautiful thing that we cannot forget is that God saw our dysfunction happening. He knew it was going to happen. He saw it happen. It unfolded. He made a way for us to leave our dysfunction and to come into a place where we are functioning properly. And that is through Jesus. By way of Jesus, we are able to stop living a dysfunctional life. We can leave the dysfunctional family and enter into a family that functions properly. We can come into the house of God, be adopted into a properly functioning family. The Bible also says that God is love. And if God is love and only God is good, then the only one who is functioning properly in love is God. And the only way we will ever be able to experience functioning love, love that functions properly, is from God alone. Because Jesus died for us, we have the ability to humble ourselves when we realize our need for God and to receive this love and to experience this love for ourselves. And one practical thing that I've gleaned from doing this word study on good is that I now have a standard in my life when I'm trying to decipher whether or not this is a good choice. Because when I need to make choices, I can hold this up and ask myself, does this choice contain grace, love, health, beauty, and prosperity? Does it surround me with grace, love, health, beauty, and prosperity? Does it cause me to function properly or does it bring more dysfunction in my life? The word good to me will never read the same and I hope that it will never read the same for you too. That when you make choices, that you do make those choices that are good, that push you towards functioning properly, that don't lead you into dysfunction and that bring you into a place where you are surrounded by grace, love, health, beauty, and prosperity, and where you are in a place where you contain those things in your life. You hold those things and you contain those things in your life, in your house. And I really hope that we can all have a deeper understanding and a bolder confidence in the statement that God is good, regardless of all of the pain and suffering around us, regardless of people dying, regardless of the war, of the drugs, of the abuse in this world, that we can stand and say with confidence that God is good because God's goodness is not dependent on our behavior. God is functioning properly. God does contain grace, love, beauty, health, and prosperity. God does surround us with all of those things as well. So saying that God is good is truly a true statement. 
So here we go. One step out of a cliche and a hashtag and one step deeper into the heart of God. Thank you again for listening. I will link the apps that I use to do my Bible studies in the description of this episode. It's blueletterbible, I believe, dot org and studylightbible.org. I hope you'll check them out.